All right. Let's get into it. Ephesians chapter 6, and another passage of Scripture that I want you to turn to today is the easiest passage of Scripture in all the Bible to turn to. Anybody want to guess which one it is? Genesis 1. Yeah, Genesis 1-1, all right. It doesn't get any easier than that. So Ephesians chapter 6 and Genesis chapter 1, uh, Genesis 1 is located right after the table of contents. So you just go there. We'll get to Genesis 1 in just a moment. Ephesians chapter 6. So we've been in a series. If you're here again for the first time or second time, we've been in a series for a long time. It's, it's been a great series on spiritual warfare. We're in a battle. It's a cosmic battle. It's been going on for a long time. Every day is a battle. The battle does not get easier. The battle does not take a break. The battle does not give us days off. We have to be ready. Paul says you've got to put on the whole armor of God. Amen. Somebody say the whole armor. Every piece, breastplate of righteousness, belt of truth, the shoes fitted with the gospel of peace, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation. We've talked about all five of those, and today we're going to talk about the sword of the Spirit uh, in just a few moments. So you got to take up the whole armor of God, and we're going to read uh, from verse 16 in Ephesians chapter 6. I'm going to ask that you stand with me as we read about the last couple of pieces. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 16, In all circumstances take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. We talked about that last week. And take up the helmet of salvation. And here we go. And the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. God. Amen. Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. Please do me a favor. If you're one of those people with a paper Bible and you don't mind writing in your Bible, I'm going to ask you to do something. You might even have a hard time doing it. But would you scratch out the number 18 between the Word of God and the words praying at all times in the Spirit? You'll remember that it's there because you scratch it out. But listen, those numbers were never in the original text. Okay, the Bible was originally written in, in, in Greek, translated over time, Latin, and now English. And those numbers were given to the Bible for reference purposes so we could find places easy like we just did. That was only given to us in the 1300s. So we've only had them for a little while, 700 years or so in church history. And they're not there originally. And the reason why I want you to to ignore number 18 is because the Word of God, the Word of God and praying at all times in the Spirit have to go together. Some of you have a New Living Translation. And if you look at the New Living Translation, there's a period at the end of verse 17. There should not be a period. There is no end of thought there in the original language. So I just, this is a freebie now. You're standing for this one. It's gonna, I'm going to finish in just a moment. You'll sit down. But I want you to understand that when it comes to the Word of God, you have to approach the Word of God with a prayerful spirit. Amen. Let God speak into your heart. It's not just pay, words on a page. It's alive. It's living. It's active. And it'll change your life. Let's, let's approach the Word of God with prayer. Amen? So let's pray. Father, thank you that we are well equipped in the armor that you've given us. Oh, the breastplate of righteousness that gives us confidence, and Lord, the belt of truth that keeps us ready, the shield of faith that stops those little lies of the enemy, the gospel of peace which keeps us moving forward. 
Lord, the helmet of salvation which protects our minds and reminds us of who we are in Jesus Christ. And I pray, Lord, that you'll help me to be as clear as I can and our hearts will be changed and transformed and renewed through your word and we welcome you, Holy Spirit, into this room. Have complete control. Change our lives. We ask for your, your presence here. Convict, encourage, confront, conform. Have your way in every single life. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Everybody say it. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a seat. So I got a question for you. It's on your notes. And, and take out your notes and fill in the blanks. I told Saturday night service that you get extra credit in heaven when you fill out the notes in church. So don't just ignore that little piece of paper. Fill it in. If you don't have a pen, ask somebody. Um, what does it mean? Here's the question. What does it mean to put on the armor of God? That's an important question because Paul has been telling us to put on this, put on that, take up this, take up that. What does it really mean to do that? And the answer to spare you a long explanation is simply this, and you can fill in the blanks. Putting on the armor of God means applying the doctrine of God's Word to my life. That's all it is. And so to apply the armor of God, to protect yourself from the enemy's attacks, you have to know a little doctrine. You have to know some basic truths that come from the Bible regarding God and regarding you and regarding how you and I relate to God. Now that word doctrine, it's a scary word. It's a big word, it's a heavy word. It sounds theological, it sounds high-minded. Let me tell you, let me make it real easy. Doctrine is just a set of beliefs that have been organized and structured from the pages of scripture. That's all there, just a set of beliefs. And here's what doctrine is. C.S. Lewis said it like this. Doctrine is a map. And a map, all a map does is help make a confusing city really clear. Well, I was in Boston a couple of days, a couple of weeks ago. We had family over and they wanted to go to Boston. And you know, Cheryl and I, we live here in New England and, and something about outside of state relatives, they think everybody who lives in New England is an expert on the city of Boston. And I've been to Boston probably maybe three times, so of course I'm an expert on the city of Boston. Now, I, how many know that Boston is a confusing city? And the reason why is because it was built when everybody was riding horses. Now we got subways and trains and cars and all these little roads and the buildings are like almost touching each other and you got to try to navigate all these winding streets. It's not a really well-structured city for modern day travel. But I had, I had a little weapon in my pocket. It's called the iPhone. <laughs> iPhone has a maps application and what I love about the maps application is it makes you feel like a geographical genius. I'm not kidding you. I was Rand McNally for the day. I said, where do you want to go? We want to go to the aquarium. That's right over there. Where do you want? Oh, you want to go to the Museum of Science? That's right over there. Oh, there are the tuck tours right over there. Oh, let me just take you there. Follow me. Follow me. And I'm leading the way with my little iPhone. What I love about the iPhone is it doesn't look like a map. 
so you don't look like a tourist. And you just hide it, you can look pretty intelligent up there in the city of Boston. And the best part about it is it's got this little blinking dot. And the little dot is you. And you just follow where you want you to go all the time. And here's what that little maps application does. That maps application makes a very confusing and big and overwhelming city understandable. That's all that that maps does. Here's what doctrine does. Doctrine takes the Bible. Now, the Bible is a big, long collection of books. One of the things that we say about the Bible, we call it a book. It's not a book. The Bible is not a singular book. The Bible is a collection of books. It's a collection of 66 works, all in one. In fact, the word Bible comes from the old Latin word biblios, which is where we get the word bibliography from. Anybody ever do a term paper, you know that a bibliography better have more than one book in it. The biblios is the Bible. It's a collection of books to support one main thesis, God's work of redeeming fallen mankind. That's what the Bible is. Now, Let's be honest for a moment. How many of you have ever been confused by the Bible? All right, some honest people in this place. Praise God. How many of you have ever been overwhelmed by the largeness and the expansiveness of the Bible? Yeah. How many of you ever read the Bible and you said, what did that just say? Yeah. We've all been there. Everybody. It can be confusing. Like the city of Boston, it can be overwhelming. And... Like the city of Boston, it's old. It's from a long time ago. And you need a map. Doctrine is that map. Well, you say, how do I get doctrine? You get doctrine when I preach, believe it or not. Amen. You get doctrine from a set of fundamental beliefs. They're on our website. We have them. There are some creeds of the church that talk about the essential things that we need to believe about God and about how we relate to him. And doctrine is going to help you navigate your life. Here's what Paul says about doctrine to his disciple, young Timothy. He says in 1 Timothy 4, 16, watch your life and doctrine closely. I think that's interesting. He doesn't just say watch your life. He says watch your life and your doctrine. What is he saying? Watch your life and watch what you believe about God. Here's why. Persevere in them because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Doctrine will save your life. That's why it's putting on the armor of God. It's applying the truth of God's word to my life. So that when the enemy comes and tells you that you're no good, that God is done with you and frustrated with you, that you know what you believe about God according to the word, that he's not mad at you, God loves you, that he is not waiting for you to perform for him, that he has given you the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And by faith in Jesus, we have been clothed with his righteousness. When God sees us, he doesn't see our bad record. He sees Christ's perfect record. And we are accepted before God Almighty in faith through Christ. That's putting on the breastplate. That's, that, that's an important piece because a lot of people walk around like this. God's mad at me. God's mad at me. God's mad at me. No. Put on the breastplate of righteousness. Understand what the Bible says about you and about God in relation to you. 
And then when, when the enemy throws a curve into your life, how, how many know that his best pitch is the curveball? And you'll throw fastballs for like a week, and you'll be hitting them out of the park, and you'll be, ha, 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 yeah, I'm nailing it now. And then suddenly he throws the curve. And you're just like, what do I do? Someone dies. Someone leaves you. Someone walks out the door. Someone offends you. Your job is getting released. You, you, you lose out on some big chunk of money or whatever. And now you're like, what do I do? And that's where you need to know. You need to know doctrine. What doctrine? Number one, that God is sovereign. That means that he is over everything. Nothing happens outside of his control. And now, that's just half of it, though. Not only is he sovereign, but he loves you. Amen. That means that everything that he allows is out of love for you. And that if he loves you, you know that whatever he allows to come into your life ultimately will be good for you. Romans chapter 8, verse 28 sums it up the best. It says, we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purposes. That means that when the devil throws the curve and you're tempted to sit there and freak out and say, I don't know what I'm going to do now. And you start pulling out your hair and you start worrying and you start sweating and you can't sleep. You raise up the shield of faith and you say, I know that God is in control. I know he's got a good plan and a purpose. I may not understand it right now, but if I live by faith and understand he's in charge and he loves me, it's all going to be good in the end. That's called, that's called putting on the armor of God. That's why Paul says to Timothy, it's going to save you, Timothy. It's going to save you. And you need to have good doctrine. Amen. So that's what it is about putting on the armor of God. So with that in mind, let's look at the last piece of armor. It's called the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. A couple things I want to say right off the bat. Number one, Paul says that you take up the sword of the Spirit. That means you put it in your hand, just like a sword. It's, uh, it's, a, it's like a dagger. The Roman soldier had this short maybe 20-inch long dagger. A lot of people think it was a big long sword. It wasn't. It was a short, short word. It was a short sword, and that's a lot of times what the Bible is. The Bible, you don't have to know a, a huge passage of the Bible. Sometimes you just need to know a few words, and those few words give you the defense that you need for the attacks of the enemy. You got to take it up, though. You got to put it in your hand. One of the saddest things about our country, one of the saddest things about this generation is the disrespect that we have for this word. And not only this disrespect, but just how often we ignore it. Heck, we, we, we just leave it on our shelves and we just let it collect dust and it just sits there. And I have to remind you people, I have to remind myself, do you understand what people did to make sure that we could have this book in our hands? Like there was a day where half of this book was illegal. Sometimes I think maybe we should make it illegal again. Then all the young people would want it. <laughs> Isn't that true? <laughs> it's, like, it's like, yeah, ban the Bible from public schools. Now watch the young people be like, why don't they want us to have that? Hey, let's have that. Come on. Be in the back room or in the boys' room holding their Bibles like this from the teachers. But it was banned. It was banned for the first 1,400 years of church history. There was a bad time in the church's history around the 1400s. 
And some men were in the church and they realized that the church was keeping the word of God out of people's hands. So they started to risk their lives to make a change. And one of them was named William Tyndale. And he literally gave his life to make sure that you and I could have a copy of the Bible in our hands. That was his life mission. And when he set out to start doing this, some people didn't like it. And they chased him out of town and they called him a heretic and they tried to persecute him and he went into hiding and then he was betrayed. And he translated the Bible, before he died, he translated the Bible into the common tongue of England so that everybody, every man, woman, and child could understand God's word for themselves. And you know what they did? They strung him up against the stake and they burned him alive at the stake. He gave his life so that you could have this book. And let me be clear, he did not give his life so that you could put this on your shelf and forget it. You need to take up the word of God, put it in your hand. It's a sword, it's a weapon, and it can win spiritual battles for your life. It's the sword of the spirit. The second thing I want you to hear is, it's offensive, not defensive. Every other piece of the armor is defensive. It's protecting you, but this one, it attacks your enemy. Satan cannot handle it. He hates hearing the word of God come out of your mouth. He loves negativity. He loves you being bad on yourself, being down on yourself. You know the, the devil's favorite party is a pity party. He loves you to throw one every once in a while. And as soon as something happens that you don't like, oh, 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 oh woe is me, this sucks. Oh, God, you know, how could you? And the devil's just like sitting there saying, woohoo, this is a party now. Pity, 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 pity. And, and this is what you need to know. Stop being negative about your life in Christ. Start being positive. You got, a, you got a Savior in heaven who loves you and cares for you. He's going to do good things for you. You got the Word of God. And if it's on your mouth and it's coming out of your mouth, it's going to produce results and, let, and, uh, and empower you to live in victory. It's offensive. You've got to be offensive as a Christian. Not offensive to people but offensive to your enemy, the devil. Peter says as much. Look what he says. He says, be sober-minded, 1 Peter 5, 8. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. And Peter says what? The next two words. Resist him. Say it loudly. Ready? One, two, three. Be offensive. Come against your enemy. Don't just sit there and let him talk to you all day. Oh, just sit there and listen to him. I can't tell you how many times I, I just catch myself. I'm like, that thought is not of God. I get these thoughts in my mind. Maybe you do too. I know you do. <laughs> and you just sit there and you think, oh, I'm nobody. Oh, I really just blew it now. Oh, man, now everything's going to be bad. And you're just constantly letting these thoughts. It's amazing how subtle they are. It's amazing how silent they are, how quiet they are. And they come in and they try to devour your mind and hold you back from God's best. And you gotta, you got to stand up in faith and resist that in Jesus' name. With what, though? With the Word of God coming out of you. He says, stand firm in your faith. Point number one. If you're taking notes, and you should be for extra credit in heaven, the sword of the Spirit sends Satan packing. It sends Satan packing. All right? When Jesus is tempted in the wilderness, 
The enemy comes in and he says, if you are the Son of God, if you are the Son of God, if you are the Son of God. And he's tempting Jesus. How does Jesus respond? All three times. It is written. What is he saying? He's quoting the word. He's quoting the scriptures. Now, now, now listen, this is, this is so important. Jesus is the Son of God. He's God in flesh. And the tool that he uses, the tool that he uses to resist the enemy is the word of God. The scriptures. Now, now, all of you people and me, we are not the holy son of God. Can we all agree about that? Like some of you think I am and you're weird. You're like, oh, pastor, oh, pastor. No, I'm just a man, okay? And, and here the deal is, none of us are as strong as Jesus was. And if Jesus believed that the way you come against your spiritual adversary is with the word of God coming out of your mouth, how much more do we need to do the same? Amen. Let me say something that's going to actually confront some of you, and it's going to change some of you, hopefully. Because you all come from different uh, church backgrounds, and maybe some of you come from my background, a, a Pentecostal background. Okay? I was raised, and I was taught that you, you have to bind Satan. They used to teach that. Bind Satan. No, Jesus says, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, bound on earth. We do not bind Satan. The Bible never says bind Satan. Never does. You say, well, what is binding and loosing? That has to do with church discipline. And that's for a whole other message. We'll talk about that some other time. But he's not talking about the, the devil. You say, well, didn't Jesus say that the strong man must be bound? Yeah. And Jesus was talking about himself. He bound Satan at the cross. Colossians says he made a public spectacle of the powers of darkness, triumphing them over them at the cross. Jesus Christ is the stronger man who bound Satan, the strong man. He is bound by the victory of the cross, and now you and I can plunder the strong man's possessions and get back our peace and our joy and our compassion and our grace and our mercy and our love and all the things that God wants for us. But we don't have to bind Satan. We don't. Okay? The other thing that we do, or we've been taught to do, and I was taught to do this, you rebuke Satan. I rebuke you, Satan. I rebuke you. I rebuke you. I rebuke you. You don't have to do that either. The Bible does not teach us to rebuke Satan. Even in Jude, you look up the uh, one chapter of Jude. It's a one-chapter book. It says, even Michael the archangel did not bring a slanderous accusation against the enemy, but he simply said, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. Now, you can say that all you want. The Lord rebuke you, Satan, and I encourage you to do that because that's biblical. But you don't have to rebuke Satan. Here's what you do. You resist Satan by letting the word of God come out of your mouth. Speak it over your life. I, I'm telling you something. Some of you are all stressed out in life. You're, you're worried and you're concerned about so many things. Every once in a while, you just need to throw out Philippians Chapter 4, be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, make your request known to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, shall guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. Amen. See, you don't just know, you don't just read it, you let it come out of your mouth. And just like Jesus in the wilderness, when it comes out of your mouth, the Satan's going to be like, I can't do anything with this fool. He knows too much. He can't stand the word of God, the sword of the spirit sends your adversary packing in Jesus' name. 
Now, I want to illustrate this, and I'm going to go a little bit around about to get back to this point, but let me illustrate it to you because it's powerful. Go to Genesis chapter 1. I asked you to turn there in the beginning. I want to show you how from the very beginning, God's Word sets up God's Word as the ultimate weapon against our enemy. From the very beginning. The first two verses of the Bible, and we've got the hazer on. Can we cut that off? I am seeing smoke, and you people are disappearing. I don't know what was going on, but can we cut that off? Because I can't breathe. Amen. Um, <laughs> here's the first verse. In the beginning... God created the heavens and the earth. That's the first verse of the Bible. Now listen. Right after that verse, everything appeared. Okay? The second verse is, Now the earth was formless, or without form, and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. There is a theory about these two verses. And I want to explain it to you because there's a theory that was held by a lot of pastors in the previous century and a lot of reputable preachers in this century, and your pastor believes in this too. But I just want to make sure you understand it's a theory. It's not clearly enunciated in the scriptures, but I believe it's true. The theory goes, Jesus said that in, in Luke chapter 10, verse 18, Jesus said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. That's what Jesus said. Now, Jesus has always been around. He's God, the eternal son. He was incarnated, but he was there before the beginning. He was made, he was never created. He was in the beginning with God. And he saw Satan fall like heaven. Two questions. If Satan fell from heaven, first question is, where did he fall to? He fell to earth. The Bible is clear about that. Job chapter one, verse, and Job chapter one and two, uh, Satan comes before God with the angels and God says, where you been? He says, I've been roaming the earth. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4 says that Satan is the god of this world. There's another passage that says he's the prince of the power of the air. And of course, Jesus, when he walked around, there were Satans and demons all over the place. They're on the earth. But the second question is, not only did he fall to earth, but the second question is, when did Satan fall? And the theory goes that Satan's fell happened between Genesis 1, verse 1 and Genesis 1, verse 2. That's why after God creates the heavens and the earth, that the Bible immediately explains to us that when Satan fell there, this is what, the, this is what it looked like. It was without form, it was void, and it was dark. Now, there's another way of saying without form. Here's the way of saying it. It was chaotic. Form is order. The opposite of order is chaos. Satan loves chaos. The second thing it says is that he, it, was, it was void. The earth was void. There's another way to say void, empty. Satan loves emptiness. That's why when you go and you drink all that alcohol in the morning, you feel empty. That's why when you go and have sex with everybody else, you say, I think that's going to make me happy. In the end, you feel empty. That's why when you chase the things of this world and you think fame and popularity and importance are going to fulfill you, you can get all those things and still feel empty. That's why all those stars are on drugs. They cannot find fulfillment in that stuff. Satan loves emptiness. And then the third thing it describes the earth as? Dark. He is the prince of darkness. He loves to cloud you out. Gets you in the shadows. He, he, the Bible talks about the fruitless deeds of darkness. Satan's domain is dark. Let me give you one of the scariest definitions of hell. 
Everybody talks about the fire and everybody talks about the, the, the heat. You know what the most, the most, the worst part of hell is? Darkness. Complete and total darkness. So whenever anybody says, I'm going to hell because all my friends are there, just tell them they may be there, but you won't be able to see them. Just being honest with you. Void, chaos, emptiness, darkness. That was the state of the earth because Satan had been cast down from heaven to earth. This happened long before we ever came around, long before Adam and Eve. And then what's the next verse in the book of Genesis? Here's what it is. God starts creating. And how does God create? He speaks. Genesis 1-3, and God said, let there be light. Notice it was God speaking, and there was light. And then it says, and God said, let the land come out of the waters. And how did the land come about? The land was not dropped from heaven. The land came out of the waters. Now, in the ancient world, even the Israelites believe this, ancient religions always believed that the oceans were a symbol of evil. The oceans were chaotic and unpredictable, so they called them the, the domain of the deep, the Sheol. And here's what God is doing. He's speaking to the waters, and out of the chaotic mess that is the ocean, he brings out land. And then out of the land, he brings out vegetation. And out of the vegetation, he brings out seed. And then out of the land, he brings out cattle and beasts of the earth and and birds of the air. And then out of the dust, he brings out Adam. And he breathes on him in the, the breath of life. And God is creating and creating and creating. And what he's doing is he's speaking into the chaos of Satan. He's speaking into the darkness of Satan. He's speaking into the emptiness of Satan's domain. And he's bringing order. And he's bringing light. And he's bringing form. And he's bringing uh, uh, understanding and illumination. And he's bringing these things out of the chaos of Satan through his word. Point number two, God's word brings order out of chaos. And it's so important for you to hear this because this is how the Bible sets itself up right from the beginning. It wants you to know that this world is under the chaotic domain of Satan, but God's word, God's spoken word is the way in which order and calm and peace and illumination break forth from that chaos and it's the way that you establish your life. God's word brings order out of chaos. I say it because there are many of you here and you're in chaos. You're in darkness. You're confused. God, the devil's got you chasing your tail. You don't know what to do. You know what you need? You need a word of God. You need God's word to be spoken over that situation, spoken over that relationship, spoken over that trouble, spoken over that addiction. And let that word, that calming, orderly, structured, powerful, life-giving word bring life into the enemy's darkness and establish your life. But you got to know it. You got to put it in you. You got to hunger for it and desire it. Here's, here's what happens when you get saved, by the way. And Paul d- describes this in 2 Corinthians 4, 6. It says, for God who said... 
Let light shine out of darkness. What's he doing? He's referencing Genesis 1-3. Here's what he says. The God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts the light to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. How do you get saved? The same word that created the earth and created order out of chaos is the same word that goes into your heart and brings order out of the chaos of the enemy. And that is the power of God's word. And it brings light. Now, how many know light is a good thing, right? And, and, and the thing about light is a little bit of light makes a big difference. Um, last night I was preaching, and, and, and it's not today, but last night I was preaching, I had a limp. And I had a limp because I made a boneheaded move. And it, this happens on a regular basis in my house. But I, I went to the bathroom in the middle of the night, and if you're like me, you like to have the bedroom completely dark when you're sleeping. And so I went out to go to the bathroom. I come back in. And I'm doing this, you know. Everybody does this in their bedroom when they're coming back. And, and I just nailed my toe, stubbed it, nasty pain. And usually what I do is when I go to the bathroom, I, I take my iPhone with me. How many know you can't go to the bathroom without your iPhone anymore? Um, <laughs> it's more, this thing is so bad. And, and I usually, what I do is I go to the bathroom, I come back in the room, and I just press that little button on the top, and it's like a flashlight. Not, so it doesn't just help me get around Boston. It helps me get around my bedroom in the middle of the night. But that little bit of light just helps me navigate that darkness so that I don't make a bonehead move and stub my toe and limp for the next week, right? A little bit of light makes a big difference. Let me tell you something about the Word of God. A little bit of light makes a big difference. The, the psalmist says, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. It helps me see. It helps me understand. Okay, I can identify that. Okay, I see that. Okay, I see that's trouble right there. That right there is trouble for my life. If I go in that direction, I am going to hurt myself. How many, how many of you would like a few less stubbed toes in the spirit? Because I, I don't know about you, but every once in a while, that's what happens. You're just walking through life, and you're not in the Word of God, and you're not honoring God's Word, and you're not listening to it, and you're just trying to feel your way through life. That's what a lot of Christians are doing, trying to feel their way. I don't know about this situation, but I'm going to feel it out. And it's like, bam, bam, and you're limping around like this, and the devil is laughing at you. Get the Word of God in your mouth and speak it over your life and let it be the light that brings understanding and illumination and order out of the chaos of the enemy. Amen. It shines in your heart. It shines in your heart and brings light. Now notice that Paul goes on, and he says, we have this treasure in jars of clay so that we can show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. And then he says, we are afflicted in every way. That means that just because you're saved, it doesn't mean you're going to have a great time all the time. We're going to be afflicted, but we're not crushed. We're going to be perplexed at times, but we're not driven to despair. We're going to be persecuted, but we're not going to be forsaken, struck down, but we're not going to be destroyed. Why? Because we have the word of God. If we have the word of God, when the devil's chaos comes at us, we speak the word of God and order comes into our lives. There are some things in your life that are just giving you fits, that are getting you so down and confused and you're just living in darkness. And just a word, one word, one verse could bring order and calm and peace into that situation. In Mark chapter four, the, the disciples were in the boat with Jesus 
And the boat was being capsized by the oceans and the waves. And they thought, these are experienced fishermen now. And they thought they were going to drown. And they're freaking out. And they get Jesus, he's sleeping on a mat. And they say, hey, wake up, don't you care if we drown? And Jesus stands up and the Bible says in Mark chapter four that he said to the wind and to the waves, peace be still. The same creative voice that made those waves and made that wind had the power to calm them in that moment. I wonder who here is in that boat right now and you're getting storm tossed and you're getting overrun by all the waves of the enemy trying to throw, it, throw them at you and, and he's funny like that. He doesn't just throw one wave at you, does he? He throws multiple waves, wave after wave after wave and you're getting driven and tossed and you need the word of God in your life. You need that calming word of God and to start saying in the name of Jesus, this is what my Bible tells me and I'm not gonna give way to fear and I'm not gonna give way to anxiety and I'm not gonna give way to despair. I have the word of life in my heart and I will win in Jesus' name. Amen. I will. And so we gotta get the word of God in, but listen to me. It's all about respect. Point number three. You have to respect your sword. It's a sword. It's sharp. You got to respect it. I've never handled a sword, at least in real life. I've played with a few. I have kids, and they were fake ones. They were plastic ones, so they couldn't do any damage. But if I had a real sword, you know that you have to respect that thing. You have to handle it with care. You know, you know what I see a lot of times in the church? There's no respect for the Word of God. You, you're looking at these denominations, whole denominations in America right now, fallen by the wayside, dwindling in numbers. I know why. People always want to say, well, they're not modern. No, that's not it. And some of you might say, well, they need lights and smoke like you do. No, that's not it either. Do you know why they're dwindling? Because they don't preach the word. I'm going to tell you that as a fact. They're going to preach about social gospel. They're going to preach about helping the poor. They're going to preach about being nice people and good persons and nice citizens. But let me tell you something. All those are not the central message of this book. The central message of this book is that we are saved by faith in Jesus Christ. We were redeemed through his blood, and we must know that he is the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through Jesus Christ. Stand on that. Preach that. That's what you build a church on. That's what you build a church on. Let me just say something. You say, a lot of people do this. They come to our church and they see the lights and the smoke and the modern feel. And they're like, this is one of those progressive churches. And then they think, oh, this is one of those people. They must be okay with all these things in the world. Now, they must be kind of compromising the word. We do not compromise one word out of this book. Amen. The lights and the smoke. The Bible never says anything about lights and smoke. Actually, it did. It said that there was an altar of incense in the original temple. We're just bringing the incense back in. Amen. <laughs> but, but listen, you don't compromise it. You got to respect the word. It's got to have authority in your life. You got to be able to say, I, I feel like I should do this, but the Bible says this. Go with the Bible. So, well, somebody told them I saw a TV show and they're doing it this way. Go with the scriptures. You got to honor it and you got to get under it. You got to get under the word of God. That's how you honor it. Put your Bible above you, not below you. 
lot of Christians questioning the Word of God today. A lot of questions, uh, evolution and creation. A lot of attacks. Why do, why do the public schools want the Bible out? Because, because the enemy knows the power of the Word. And it's constantly being questioned. Now, don't question the Word of God. You can, you can question it to find out what is it saying, absolutely. But, but once you find out what it's saying, don't sit there and now, now sit in judgment on that based on what the culture is saying. All right? Cultures come and go. Nations rise and fall. Jesus said, heaven and earth is going to pass away, but my words will endure for all eternity. There is never going to be a day where God's word is not true. Amen. Stand on it. It'll establish your life, but you got to get under it. Now, Isaiah chapter 55 says, uh, for as the rain, look at verse 10, Isaiah 55 verse 10, for as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater. Look what he says, verse 11. So shall my word be that goes out of my mouth. It shall not return to me empty. Another word for empty is void. But shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. What's he saying? Just like you can't stop the rain and snow from nourishing the earth, you can't stop God's word from nourishing you. Every time you hear it, Every time you pick it up and read it, every time you pray, Holy Spirit, speak to me through your word, something happens. You may not feel it. Yeah, you know, it, it may not be immediate, but it's like rain. It's just coming and it's doing its job and you can't stop it. Get in the word. Get under the word of God. Amen. It'll change your life. It'll bring order out of your chaos. It'll establish you. It'll bring you peace and victory in Jesus' name. Would you stand with me?